0: WBUR Podcasts, Boston.
1: Amory, I feel like you and I have both discovered that we were both kind of working on the news, in the news, at the time that Aaron Swartz died in 2013.
2: Yeah, it felt really close to home at the time because he had connections to MIT, he was a research fellow at Harvard. Yeah. And I was working on a a daily local news show that covered, you know, the Boston area, but also Massachusetts. And I remember it being so sad, the way any news like this is, but there was so much else packed into it because there was... I don't know if it was politicized so much as just it was it was very chaotic and charged because the state attorney general had people thought that maybe she had played a role in in his um, suicide, just that the, the pressure that he was under at the time contributed to it. So it was it was so sad and, and complicated.
1: Swartz was a computer programmer and entrepreneur who also became really vocal and politically active around progressive causes online. He organized against the Stop Online Piracy Act, or SOPA, which had a lot of people thinking it would be bad for certain kinds of online innovation. But he was arrested in 2011 by police at MIT for what would become charges of breaking and entering, wire fraud, and violations of what is called the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Swartz was, at the time, advocating for making more academic research public and free to taxpayers. And what he was doing at MIT was connected with his activism on that front.
2: The thing Swartz contributed to in his 26 years of life is like a what's what of some of the most important tools on the internet and the web today. So RSS feeds, a.k.a. how you get your podcasts. He helped build Reddit Creative Commons. He was an influential member of the Wikimedia Foundation.
1: and he also was really, really involved in conversations about um, just kind of how the internet worked in general. So on this week, um, we're thinking about Aaron because 10 years ago, um, he passed away. and Amory, you and I use the internet all the time. Turns out,
2: mm-hmm, but neither of us are experts per se, and Aaron, even though we have some context and some history and some knowledge of of his work. So we wanted to talk to people who actually knew
3: Aaron and his story better than we did. My name is Cindy Cohen, and I'm the executive director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation here in San Francisco, California.
2: Cindy says the EFF is really focused on helping us navigate the digital world as
3: individuals with rights. Our job, you know, essentially is to make sure that when you go online, your rights go with you.
1: When I spoke to Cindy, it became clear how long she had known Aaron.
3: I met Aaron uh, when he was a little boy. and Yeah. When, um, you know, I think I met him before the U.S. Supreme Court argument in Grokster, but I very much remember uh, we were arguing, EFF was arguing a a case in the U.S. Supreme Court uh, called Grokster, and... It had to do with uh, copyright and how copyright was going to be handled in the digital world. And Aaron I mean, he was young enough that, that there was an adult, I believe it was... Uh, His chaperone? Chaperoning <laughs> him. Yeah, he was a little too young. And he was hanging yeah. out in front of the Supreme Court the night before the oral argument in the long line. You know, the Supreme Court has a very small um, viewing area for the public. And Aaron, along with a couple of other people who uh, worked with EFF, were, were waiting so that they could get one of the few slots. That's one of my early strong wow. impressions of him. Of course, you know, we became friends and he was involved for a very long time such that he, was, he wasn't a little boy anymore, of course, by the, by the end of his, his life. But yeah. um, my memory of Aaron is basically showing up at the EFF offices pretty regularly to tell me th- more things that we should be doing.
2: <laughs> Another person who came to know Aaron Swartz and his work very well is a documentarian.
0: My name is Brian Knappenberger. I am a documentary um, filmmaker uh, in Los Angeles, California. And you're com- coming to us from
1: your downtown LA. We're coming to you straight from downtown LA. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the early 2010s, Brian was working on a film about the hacktivist collective Anonymous. The movie is called We Are Legion. Uh, and Anonymous, you know, is of course known for hacking organizations like the Church of Scientology and vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin's email.
2: And also supporting pro-democratic movements, like the Green Movement in Iran and the Arab Spring. We stand
4: for freedom of speech, the power of the people, the ability for them to protest against the government. No censorship, especially online, but also in real life. It's a one voice.
2: Put simply, Brian was focused on how people online were making a big impact on the world.
0: And I'd heard about Aaron Swartz um, during that time and maybe a little bit before, and I knew a lot of people that knew Aaron.
2: Brian and Aaron had some friends in common, including a woman named Quinn Norton.
0: I hadn't met him, but I was aware of what happened. I remember when he was first arrested um, at uh, at MIT for downloading um, this uh, sort of uh, research knowledge. I remember when he was first arrested. I remember those headlines. I remember thinking, what's going on with Aaron? What is he doing? What was what was going on there? What was he trying to do? You know when he died there was there was quite a um uh you know there's quite an outpouring of emotion and and grief uh it's one of the first times i really saw the internet and the early kind of internet communities just really mourn somebody and i and i understood it and i was there with them and i and i wanted to understand what happened to this kind of visionary person i'm ben brock johnson
2: I'm Amory Sievertson, and you're listening to Endless Thread, coming to you from WBUR, Boston's NPR station.
1: On January 11th, 2013, five days after he was charged with a number of crimes related to computer work that he was doing, Aaron Swartz was found dead in his apartment. He was 26 years old.
2: Today on the show, 10 years after Aaron's death, we wanted to remember him and his work with a few of the people who came to know him well.
1: Brian has made a number of documentary films and series for Netflix. One of his best known is The Internet's Own Boy, the story of Aaron Swartz, which he began working on a week after Aaron died.
4: You know, it's easy sometimes to feel like you're powerless. Like when you come out in the streets and you march and you yell and nobody hears you. But I'm here to tell you today, you
2: are powerful. As a journalist turned documentarian... Brian says he's focused on what journalists do best.
0: You know, I like to go after powerful people (laughs) who are doing bad things. Um, As they say, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable.
2: And he's come to make work about the intersection of society and technology and the ripple effects and unintended consequences that come with it. Ben talked to him right after the new year.
1: I think we think of the Internet now as, as a pretty mixed bag. And we think of you know we think of it in pretty cynical terms was it a surprise to you that someone like aaron had had this like largely positive outpouring of support
0: uh yeah i mean when when you think about yeah we do have a cynical view of the internet now i think when I, you know, if you were to kind of rewind to early 2000s, I was, I guess what you'd call a techno-utopian, you know, I kind of believed in the power of the internet, and I believed in, you know, the ability of the internet to, you know, that that information could be, you know, medical, uh, could be medical breakthroughs, there could be toppling of dictators, there could be all, all sorts of things. And, and, and there was a slow understanding um, that there was also a dark side to it, and Aaron was, um, Aaron was right in the middle of that conversation. Um, I, I mean, and an early, uh, very insightful participant in that conversation. I mean, he, he was he was really talented in two key ways. He was this uh, initially this kind of Silicon Valley type company building tech visionary. Um, you know somebody that was really celebrated at that time in our culture we saw these people as you know those early tech visionaries as gods basically who could promising this future that that they alone could see mm. uh, that at least was our perception but and Aaron was part of that he also had no nobody else in that community he had this awareness that it could be a kind of tool for civic duty as well Um that the power of public access to information was important, and the use of the internet not only as a brand new way to make money, but as a democratic platform in which all sorts of non-directly commercial things um, could be built. He he's he's amazing in that in that way, and and and, and truly um, visionary. I think. I wonder
1: how you're reflecting
0: on the documentary,
1: and I also wonder if there are particular moments from it that still you know, haunt is the wrong word, but still sort of pop into your mind today.
0: Um, I mean, we found an extraordinary clip at one point where Aaron is saying that if the constitution were written today, that instead of post offices written into it, there would be ISPs.
4: Yes, definitely. I mean, this notion that national security is an excuse to shut down the internet, that's exactly what we heard in Egypt and Syria and all these other countries. And so, yeah, it's true, sites like WikiLeaks are going to be putting up some embarrassing material about what the US government does, and people are going to be organizing to protest about it and try and change their government, you know, and that's a good thing. That's what all these First Amendment rights of free expression, of freedom of association are all about. And so the notion that we should try and shut those down, I think, just goes against very basic American principles. The principle, I think, is one that our founding fathers would have understood. If the internet had been around back then, instead of putting post offices in the Constitution, they would have put ISPs. That's
0: it right how Mm. how do we look at the internet not just as a market or a path to cashing in quickly but deeper as a kind of critical um structure sort of like the post office or the um freeway system or the original notion of um something like the state college system in america these are baseline things that at their best help everybody equally right in which society as a whole is made stronger the internet at its best um, can be that same level public playing field. That's what Aaron understood, and it's very rare. Um, that's extremely, extremely rare. Cars. The world's richest
1: man is now promising a Twitter makeover, renaming his own account Chief Twit and proclaiming the bird is freed. Elon Musk.
0: But then you, but you fast forward now, and what is what is internet? What is you know? I don't know how, how deep you want to get into what Twitter is now or if you even if you even understand it, but it's clearly been co-opted by the worst, most tr- profit-driven elements in our society. And yeah. it's an extremely powerful tool for disinformation. And who are these other people that were around at that time? Um, you know, uh, I mean, from what Musk is currently tweeting, you know, this bizarre trip he's taken down the rabbit hole, y- you imagine if he if you talk to him about it, it isn't even that he would disagree with you. You get the sense he would just give you this blank stare and not know what you're talking about. If you were talking about this sort of public access to information, I mean, do does Musk's brain work that way? <laughs> does uh, Zuckerberg's brain work that way? Hmm. Right? I, I don't. I don't think it does. But, but Aaron's did. But that that's that was core to what Aaron. Um, well, I, I mean, think about this. They sell Reddit to Condé Nast. He becomes an extraordinarily wealthy young adult. And what does he do? He goes to intern, at an unpaid intern, after he becomes a multimillionaire as a young adult. He interns for free at a congressman's office that he believed was good on internet issues. That's him. He wasn't kind of drawn in and charmed by the Silicon Valley buzz. Hmm. He he was about the technology. And when that was about building something or creating something, he was good at that. But he also saw its ramifications. And and, and if you think about, I mean, 2006, 7, 8, I mean, he was well ahead of virtually anybody else.
1: What do you think we've lost over the last 10 years without
0: Aaron? Well, we're all trying to figure this out. Right, we're in this new territory. We're in this new world. We're 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 experiencing, uh, you know, that the relentless series of um, revelations that we had about the ways that people could be surveilled online. Um, By and large, we don't we haven't really grasped that yet. The way corporations used these tools in order to surveil us and understand us. The way these things can be manipulated, the the um, the the way that uh, misinformation and and bots and other things can be used to shape um, public opinion in all sorts of ways that aren't transparent to the average user, we're 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 dealing with some big things here, and it, you can hear a lot of people if you go on Twitter at any given moment have opinions about it. You're going to get a lot of hot takes about it, but there's not a lot of people who understand it. Or understand where it's going, or un- even understand what's happening. Not that Aaron would, but you know, to 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 have also have this perspective that is separate from all this, this notion, this vision of what the internet could be. To to have that as well, I, I think is something you gotta you gotta bring to that debate. And I think that um, you know the the debate. Your, your question is what we what are we missing? I think the debate is is not as rich as it would be um, without a mind like that.
1: What would you say, you know, how might some of the, I don't know, major issues of the internet evolved in recent years with Aaron's input?
0: I think, it, I think he would have been a part of the um, debate, an important part of the debate over policy. And I think he probably would have actually built some stuff that would have helped us. But let's just not be too... Um, morose about it, we we all have that power, right? I mean, we all we all have the ability to roll up our sleeves and get engaged and, and become a part of the debate and learn all of the elements and intricacies of the debate and even to build our own stuff online. We all have that power, right? We all are part of this. It's not some, it, he's not a super Superman in that way. It's not some superhuman that is the only person that can do this. In some ways, that lets us off the hook. We can actually do it. Everybody can do it. The internet is not for anybody. It's not owned by any. Elon Musk doesn't own it. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't own it. Jeff Bezos doesn't own it. Anybody can can participate in this discussion and can um, be a part be a part of the be a part of the policy discussion or be a part of the tools that that make it something um, that might push it in in, in another direction. I mean, there's no way of getting around the fact that this that it's that it, that, that it's sad, that it's sad to have uh, have lost a mind like Aaron's the way that it was the the way that we lost it. But uh, I, I do hope that there's some um some power to to what he represented, and that it's accessible. I hope there's an empowerment that comes from um, his vision.
2: That was documentary filmmaker Brian Nappenberger. In a few minutes, we'll hear from Cindy Cohn at the Electronic Frontier Foundation about Aaron Swartz's impact and beliefs when we think about our unalienable rights as American and digital citizens.
3: There is a very, I think, simplistic and manipulated view of free speech that means that we let assholes run wild. And I don't think Aaron ever thought that.
4: Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while.
2: Do it anyway. Dig. As we talked about earlier, someone who's known Aaron and tried to preserve his memory and some of his work is Cindy Cohn, the director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. She spoke with Ben just after the new year as well starting with a description of what Aaron was like
3: Aaron was one of these you know I mean it's kind of overused but he was really a wunderkind right he was a, he was a kid who was smart thoughtful creative and and really used the benefits of the digital age the, that early time you know to the, to the great extent he was able to you know, help create huge tools that we still use today. You know, honestly, the earliest Creative Commons infrastructure, uh, SecureDrop, which is a tool used by journalists all around the world now to make sure that they can protect the anonymity of their sources. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, what became Reddit. I mean, lots and lots of things that many of us rely on now really, you know, came into being in large part because of Aaron. And that, that's not even touching on the work that he did on the kind of political side of things.
1: What was he like to, to talk to?
3: He's just a regular person to talk to. Now, he's a regular, very smart person to talk to. So you kind of had to make sure, sure you were on your toes when you talked to him. But there wasn't anything. Um, Otherworldly about him. He was, you know, in some ways just a regular kid from Chicago.
1: Why, in your view, did Aaron Swartz die?
3: Well, I mean, it's not a simple answer. Um, I think the pressure that Aaron was under because of the way that the federal government was prosecuting him um, was tremendous. And I think he also, you know, he struggled, I think, uh, with his own uh, emotional. Um, demons, like many many people do, um, and I think that the mixture of those two things ended up, you know, resulting in him taking his own life. And um, I I I think that without the federal prosecution, and also the way the federal prosecution was being handled by the prosecutors in the kind of most thuggish way was definitely a, you know a huge factor in his decision to take his own life um but it's it's certainly a tragedy um you know not only for his family and and people like me who were his friends but I think for the entire world because we really lost somebody who was a leading thinker and I often Think about, you know, what would Aaron be showing up in my office to, you know, push me to do today or next year or the year after that. Um, and the loss of his voice is just profound.
1: Yeah, what, what would he be showing up to to ask you about and ask you to do?
3: I mean, I'm sure that Aaron would be working to do the, to push towards the things that he believed that we should have an internet that isn't the world's greatest surveillance machine. I think he would also be working to try to open up um, you know, all the world's knowledge for all the world's people. These were two things that animated him.
1: How do you think he would think we're doing 10 years I, later?
3: I think he would think that the good guys are not winning as much as they need to be winning in order to build a better future. I don't think that it's the case that, you know, we're not trying. I think the case is that, you know, the the forces of repression are are powerful right now.
1: Aaron was, was involved in the creation of Reddit. How would you think Aaron would grade Reddit as a force for good or not, or a force for surveillance and impression or not?
3: I hesitate to say, because I think Aaron looked at the world with very different glasses than I looked at the world. You know, Aaron looked from a technologist's perspective. You know, one of the things that I think about Reddit is Reddit's actually done a pretty good job of figuring out how to get out of the situation in which it was kind of a cesspool for the worst impulses of society into one Mm. where I think there's a lot more thoughtful and, um, and good conversation happening, and you know, I you know, Reddit, and, and most of this has happened since Aaron passed away. But Reddit really had kind of deteriorated into a place that was not pleasant and not good for a lot of people in society, and has slowly pulled itself out. Yeah. I think it actually does a pretty good job comparatively to some of the other <laughs> social media sites. I was going to say hey,
1: we look at Twitter right now. Yep. You know, Twitter right now is very. Um, uh, very on the other side of that spectrum. At least that's that's our impression as we've yeah, seen. Yeah, and over I think the thing last,
3: about Aaron you know. that's important to remember is while he cared a lot about freedom, he was clear-eyed that that that, that didn't mean just empowering the worst of society and, and being hands-off about it. You know, he was yeah. you know, um there is a very, I think, simplistic and manipulated view of free speech that means that we let assholes run wild. And I don't think Aaron ever thought that. Um and I kind of miss him because I think he might have innovative ideas. That are better than the ones that we're seeing right now. To try to make sure that we are lifting up our discourse and making, you know, making sure that there's still freedom.
1: You know, some of the the conversation around Aaron Swartz and his legacy and sort of what was happening around um, him passing away really had to do with academic information wanting to be free. Yes, I wonder what your view is of of that debate at this stage in the game, 10 years later, and whether, again, it has sort of moved in the direction that Aaron might have hoped it would move or whether um, it hasn't.
3: I think this is an area where we've seen more progress than, than other things that Aaron was passionate about. President Biden just issued an executive order not too long ago that is going to make publicly funded research available to the public very quickly now, I think the thing that got him in trouble with the law um, was the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, the federal law. Um, There are also state laws that mirror it all over the place. And, you know, we've made a little bit of progress about some pieces of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, but honestly, that law is still abused on the civil side. Um, It's one of the ways that companies prosecute security researchers and threaten them. Um, Um, And then, of course, for Aaron, it was actually on the criminal side. And we haven't made a lot of progress in, you know, really recognizing that the punishments are outsized. Is it
1: sort of like almost like a war on drugs thing? You know what I mean? Like, is it does it come from a place of, like, hackers bad, we must crush the hackers? <laughs> do, I, do you know I, what I
3: mean? I think a little bit. I think there is a lot, still a lot of misunderstanding about how people use computers and how computers really work in our world. I mean, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act is based on the idea that anytime you're on somebody else's computer, you know, you have to have their permission. But, you know, the internet, like... We're on other people's computers all day long. You yeah, and I. That's where all my stuff right is. Now. It's all on other people's computers. On about <laughs> a dozen other people's computers, right? It's not just the, the yeah. computer that's recording our conversation, it's all the ones along the way. And so, this is what I, when I say that I miss Aaron, I, I think that that problem wasn't central when we had Aaron. It's central now, and I miss him because I think he would help us try to figure out ways out of it.
1: Cindy, thank you so much for your time and, um, and your honest answers. Really appreciate it.
3: It's always a loss, you know, when you lose a bright star. I think that, you know, one of the things I'm happy about is that, you know, it's 10 years later and we're still talking about Aaron and his legacy. And I still meet young, bright you know, people who were inspired by Aaron, and I hope that he can continue to be a bright star for for other people who are interested in building a better world
1: So Emory, I had somebody uh, close to me die recently, and uh, it was a surprise and it was very sad and One of the things that I'm thinking about after hearing from Brian and Cindy is something that I heard at the funeral for that person, which was somebody got up and spoke and talked about this idea of carrying forward someone's legacy, even if they have left um, or after they have left. And this idea that um, when you're inspired by somebody, and their work and the way that they live in the world and the things that they care about and they die before they should die, quote-unquote, um, you know, the responsibility that the people who are left have to live in ways that that person would have supported. And I guess I think about that when I'm thinking about... Aaron Swartz, this, you know, this person who had such an impact on the way that we can live online today and the things that he cared about and um, the things that I think a lot of us potentially could and should care about as we move and work more and more on the Internet.
2: Yeah, same. And I feel like this echoes that. But I think any time that we lose someone young, we not only lose that person and everything that they were to everyone in their life in Aaron Swartz's 26 years, but we lose everything that they could have been and that they could have done going forward. And we have no idea what that would have been for Aaron, and we never will. But I wish we could. And when you have someone like Aaron, who's, you know, this incredible technical ability is matched by a drive to use that ability to make a difference, then yeah, you hope people will carry his work forward in in trying to wield the power of the internet for greater fairness and um, transparency and ultimately, hopefully, for good.
1: Yeah, give your fellow tech nerds a hug this week.
2: We're going to give the last word today to Aaron Swartz himself. This is an excerpt of an interview for the documentary War for the Web that he did about six months before he died.
4: There's sort of these two polarizing perspectives, right? Everything is great. The internet has created all this freedom and liberty and everything's going to be fantastic or everything is terrible. The internet has created all these tools for cracking down and spying and you know, controlling what we say. And I think both are true, right? The internet has done both. And both are kind of amazing and astonishing. And which one will win out in the long run is up to us. It doesn't make sense to say, oh, one is doing better than the other. You know, they're both true. And it's up to us which ones we emphasize and which ones we take advantage of, because they're both there and they're both always gonna be there.
2: This episode of Endless Thread was a team production effort from Quincy Walters, Nora Sachs, and Dean Russell. Mix and sound designed by Paul Vikis. It was co-hosted by me, Amory Sievertson.
1: And me, Ben Brock-Johnson. The rest of our team is Emily Jankowski, Matt Reed, and Grace Tatter. You can learn lots more about the work of the Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org.
2: And you can find Brian's latest work in the web of Make-Believe, Death, Lies, and the Internet, streaming on Netflix.
1: Our show is about the blurred lines between online communities and taking action in the real world to build the internet you believe can and should exist.
2: If you've got an unsolved mystery, an untold history, or another story from the internet that you want us to tell, hit us up. EndlessThread at WBUR.org.